We're Cliff and Joyce Penner. Our scripture reading today is found in Acts 2, 1 through 13. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Cliff and Joyce. That was a kindness, Cliff, to give you all those names of places, don't you think? I'll tell you. I am glad to be back with you today. You know, I was gone last week, but the news got to me immediately that we had church at Lake Avenue Church last week. Is that true? I heard both uh, in our services as well as on Sunday night. I I heard that the Lord met us here. I I almost felt as if Pentecost had come and I missed it. So I thought I'd better figure out what happened. So I went over and though we have not rehearsed this at all, I asked Andy Bartolucci if he would come up and tell me what happened in case some of you weren't here last week. Uh, do Do you know Andy? You should get to know him. So everybody rush him at the end of this service today. Uh, this is uh, Andy Bartolucci and his wife, C.A. Christiana, is over there. Wave your hand. I tried to get her to come up, too. She rejected me uh, today. Uh, Andy, last week, Pastor Jeff, well, Andy works with our high school students, right? Correct. And you and Christiana have been doing that for a little while? Uh, yeah, we've been doing it uh, for four years. So we've had them since they're freshmen and they're going to be graduating seniors this year. So it's been, uh, it's been a ride and it's been an adventure. I have heard great, great things that have happened through uh, your influence in their lives. You'll have to have a new group next year. Yes. Okay, that will be great. Andy, but you're not one of our pastors. I'm not. All right. So you, so you have a credible voice up here. Um, <laughs> Andy, I, I heard that last week Pastor Jeff went to Acts 2 and this uh, place where Peter was preaching a sermon. And he drew, drew us back to uh, a prophecy from Joel that... Um, Uh, Let me see. Sons and daughters would prophesy. 
young and old would be in this church and declare the glory of God. And, and, and he said something about his deep prayer that our church, the walls of age and generation would come down. Was there anything like that that happened in the sermon that you remember? Yes, there's quite a bit of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things that really struck me uh, from Jeff's sermon was that uh, the difference between multi-generational mm. and intergenerational. And uh, for me, that really struck me because multi-generational, I believe, is just us coming together and, yes, we're all present and there's, you know, um, diversity in age and ethnicity and things like that. But intergenerational is this idea of really coming together and interacting with each other that Interpart becomes uh, integral to the way we function and act as a body. And that really challenged me because uh, that's a little out of my comfort zone to, you know, want to uh, engage with, um, you know, people that are that think differently. But I think that there's so much to be learned from that. Um, that was very convicting and, uh, and at the same time, like, very encouraging just to uh, set the night up for Sunday night. Yeah, so that's why you were willing to come up with somebody... A year or two older than you uh, this yeah, morning. Just right? that's maybe, maybe two. Maybe maybe two. I, I heard that too, and the way I've always thought about Andy was, uh, we can have diversity within the same vicinity, but that doesn't mean community. Does, does that make any sense? So we can have all sorts of different people just in the you know the same space. So we can have children over here and high school students up there, and and uh, uh, people like me around here. I mean, that's not really what the church is. And so Jeff's and our prayer that we would be a place where we worship together. And I heard he even said some that we just need to shut it down, everything else and worship together at least once a month. And some people applauded, I heard. Yeah, you could tell that there was a, um, a lot of encouragement just to see our church family really come together uh, as one and, and just to come and praise God together and, and just fellowship with one, with one another and uh, yeah, it was, it was a wonderful time. Yeah, so we're going to be praying about that. Now, did you come last Sunday night, too? I was there. And I heard you were even welcoming people as they came in. I was. I had a very bright orange puffy vest. Okay, good. And hopefully tonight. And that's uh, what happened there, Andy. Uh, that was just a continuation of Jeff's sermon. Uh, it was just, there were so many wonderful things. I think a, a couple of things that really struck me um, was that, the diversity of the church was well represented. And that really set up the tone for those times where we were just coming together and praying in small groups with people that we didn't really know around us. And it was just an amazing feeling. Uh, I got actually quite choked up just because I was praying with people that I'd never really met or seen before, but we were just coming together and engaging God and just asking for him to bring his spirit to just wash over this church, just to bring this revival um, and it was so powerful. And then at the same time, integrating the children into it, having them point out what they saw as we were um, praying during a solitary time and even during when we were praying as, a, as small groups. What is it that your parents want to hear? Um, and what is it that your parents are praying for? Learn from that. And then they also uh, had the kids um, identify what they saw when we were doing our solitary prayer. And just to hear... Um, what they saw God like. And one, one example was the people. And that was just kind of a very powerful and moving time of here we are coming together and these kids are seeing it and just learning from that. It was just uh, it was, it was an incredible moment. I really enjoyed the entire evening. I'm looking forward to tonight. Yeah, so tonight we're going to set aside time again. Yes. At five, we call it upper room, right? That's what I've heard, yes. Even though it's in this room. Yes. And, um, and we're going to come at five and just have time for worship and, and prayer 
and to see what the Lord will do. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I know my wife and I left uh, Sunday night. We were just so encouraged and so excited just to come back again. So we're, we're excited to see what God's going to do. Well, thank you, Andy. And uh, we'll see what God will do this evening. And I'll exactly. look forward to seeing you, to being there tonight. Yes. Definitely. All right. God bless you. Thank you so much, uh, Andy. <coughs> well, the <coughs> there we go. Ready? All right. That does bring us back to Acts chapter two uh, today. And uh, what's happening is that the big day that everybody had been waiting for their whole lives happened on this day. It, it was Pentecost. Uh, it wasn't the first Pentecost ever. Did you know that? Uh, the Jewish people had been celebrating Pentecost for centuries and centuries, uh, ever since Moses. They celebrated it. But what they had celebrated every other uh, Pentecost was the birthday of their nation. It was sort of like Fourth of July. But this one was going to be different. It was going to be the birthday not of just one nation, but the birthday of a whole new people that's going to be brought together. And eventually it would be made up of people of every tribe, every language, every nation. And that's what we come to in uh, Acts chapter 1 and 2. So as I begin today... I, I want you to imagine being there with the disciples as Acts chapter 2 opens. They were in a house in Jerusalem. Uh, some people think it might have been the very same house uh, that they had celebrated the final communion with Jesus. We're not sure about that. But, but Jesus had been with them just a week before, after he had died and then risen, and just before he had ascended. And he said, you have to wait here. And they had been waiting for over a week, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them because they were going to become a part of a movement that before God was done, it was going to reach to the ends of the earth. Do you remember that? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But Jesus had said, even though they had seen him dead one day and alive the next, which doesn't happen every day, you know. Did you know that? Still, though they must have been excited, uh, he said, you have to wait here, wait here until uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon you before you go out and get involved in telling other people about this. Now, do you think it was hard for them to wait? For some of them, I bet it was. You know, these personalities, we've been seeing them in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, uh, Peter, it must have been almost impossible. He was so impetuous. What about James and John? They're called the sons of thunder. Couldn't have come naturally to them. Do you, do you think they grew impatient? Just think they've been waiting their whole lives for this. Uh, their forefathers had been waiting for centuries for Messiah to come. Uh, they, they had waited the last three years thinking that when Jesus is done, he's going to go to Jerusalem and set up a kingdom here. But now they were beginning to understand really why he had come. They'd waited three years now it had happened, the death and resurrection had happened, and they were still waiting. It must have been hard. You ever have times where it's hard to wait? Maybe something's happening in your life now, you can't find it very hard to wait. <laughs> but they waited. That's one of the things I want you to see. When God spoke to them, as hard as it was, and they sometimes wonder, when is he, when is he going to finally do it? <laughs> when is he going to step in? They were obedient to God 
and they were waiting. Then in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, if you have your Bible, you can see it. Again, imagine being there. They were in that room together when suddenly they heard a wind, like a violent blowing wind coming toward them. Have you ever been in a place where there is a violent wind? Uh, I I sure have. I remember when I was uh, in Japan, I climbed Mount Fujiyama and a typhoon hit the mountain when I was there. I'll tell you, the wind was so powerful that uh, I just fell down on the ground. I thought it was going to blow me off the hill. Uh, I was terrified. And maybe they were terrified as they heard this wind blowing into the room. Maybe being the good Jewish men and women that they were in in there, they they knew that uh, the word in their language for wind and spirit was the same word. Same thing was true in Greek. Same thing was true in Aramaic. I mean, in there, do you think maybe they thought as they heard that wind, maybe the wind of God's spirit is now coming to blow in. Don't you think they might have been thinking that? Um, but while they might have been thinking that, uh, then what they began to see overtook what they were hearing. Then fire, fire came into the room. And, and, and again, being people who I'm sure knew the Old Testament, Uh, They knew that when God appeared to people and broke into people's lives, it was so often as fire. Uh, Genesis 15 to Abraham, when when God encountered him, the smoke and the fire that you read about there. Uh, When when God broke into Moses' life at at the burning bush, it was fire that was there. At the very first Pentecost, uh, Exodus chapter 19, uh, as God was going to make sure that they knew that they were his people and he was their God. It was with smoke and fire and wind that God made himself known. And so don't you think that they are saying with this fire that seems to be breaking into the room, God is ready to speak to us. God is ready to meet us. Can, can you feel this? But I'm telling you, there, there was a difference in that fire that came into that room. And you can read about it in verses 3 and 4. Just picture it. That fire separated, it says, it separated into forms like tongues and it came to rest upon each one of their heads. Uh, No longer just upon an Abraham, no longer just upon a, a Moses, no longer just upon an Ezekiel and the other times God had done this upon each one of them. You know what it's saying, don't you? That God is ready to meet each individual personally. That, that, that's what's going on here. And then it tells us, Um, the Spirit of God came upon them. They were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak. And in verse 11, what they spoke about was the mighty saving acts of God. But when they spoke, everybody who was there from many, many different language groups heard what they were saying in their own language. Now, that was a miracle because these were Galileans. In fact, look at verse 7 and 8 utterly amazed all the people who somehow knew something was happening over there in this house or around that house. Utterly amazed. People ask, wait a minute, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now that, that just runs past us because Galileans were sort of the blue collar uh, Israelites of the time. They had this really strong accent that even some of their own people couldn't understand. They're kind of the West Virginians of their time, just or, or Texans, maybe, something like that. And yet as they spoke, these Jewish people who had come from all over the world, speaking many different languages with many different accents, could hear them speaking in their own heart language, their own mother tongue about God. You know, it just goes deep into our hearts when that happens, 
Was it a miracle of the speech or a miracle of the ears or both? But they knew that something here powerful was happening. Some, and you, you heard Cliff and Joyce read about it. Some were confused. Would you have been confused? Uh, some were amazed. Some made fun of them, saying, hey, they must have been drinking too much wine. Later, Peter would say, well, no, that's not it. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. So obviously they weren't like Southern Californians. They didn't drink before nine o'clock in the morning. See, but all of them, when you look at the end, ask the question, what does this mean? What does this mean? That's a question that's often, often asked in the book of Acts. And so, you know what I had intended to do today? I had intended to do a message on what does this mean? Uh, every Tuesday afternoon, I meet with a group of our younger pastors and we look at the text and I said, well, this is what I think I want to talk about. And then we uh, talk about it together. So what does this mean? I'll show you some of the things I have down because at least I want you to see what I intended to preach about. Acts chapter two, it, it at least means this, that each one of us. Now that Jesus has finished his work and the Holy Spirit has come, each one of us can have a personal experience of God. Not just a pastor, not just a missionary. Every human being can have a personal experience of God when we trust Jesus and allow him to come into our lives. Um, two, I wanted to say this experience begins with where it began with them when they met Jesus. When we trust him, we turn our sins and lives over to him. We trust him. When we meet Jesus, the experience with God begins. Number three, I was going to tell you, and I'm telling you now, that each one then who has an experience with God through faith in Jesus, and, and, and Jesus would say, then you're made alive, you're born again to God. We become a witness of that. Yeah, you know, yeah, and that's a witness that God is, that's what a witness is. It's still today in the courtroom, isn't it? A witness who's called is somebody who's experienced something. And you and I become witnesses that God really is and that God forgives and that there's hope. And number four, what's going to happen here on beyond this is that those who have witnessed something with God are called to bear witness to the world. So followers of Jesus, we're not mostly just philosophers or thinkers, so hopefully we engage in philosophy and thinking. We're mostly just witnesses of who God is and what he's done through Jesus. And then finally, when we experience God through faith, he gives us his Holy Spirit and he brings us together into a new community where we're to do life with one another, uh, where the walls come down and separate people from people. So that's what I was talking about on Tuesday. When I looked around, and it seemed like, and maybe not unlike some of us today, uh, some of the people that kind of had a glazed look on their face. They, that happens sometimes to preachers. You look out and see a lot of glazed looks. Um, and Pastor Perry Hawkins, junior high pastor, had the courage to say this to me. Pastor Greg, I think that many, many people who come to church are going to stop listening to all the explanation of what this text means because they're going to stop with point one, which is that each one of us can have a personal experience with God. And they are going to ask, why have I never had an experience of God like that? Well, Perry, I think, is in his 20s would say, you know, many of us have read about these kind of experiences with God in the Bible. Uh, many of us have heard generations above us say that the, you can really have an experience with God. But, but how can I have that kind of un, 
unmistakable, undeniable experience with God. Well, I'm just telling you, I have not been able to get Perry's comment off my mind ever since. And then, as it so often is with God, it just seems to me every encounter that I've had with anyone all week has been an encounter with somebody who is walking through such difficult times in their lives. Some here from Lake and some elsewhere. I'm not going to use any names, <laughs> but it just seems like that, that it happened. Uh, several were telling me about the, the deep, deep trouble that their children were having. Sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally, sometimes spiritually. I, I had a number of conversations with, with folks here and elsewhere who just, whose marriages are just in trouble. They just didn't think um, they were going to make it. I had a, a, a call from a pastor friend whose church had just... He was surprised. Let him go. And he just didn't know how. He said, I'm going to be homeless by probably August. Um, had another friend who called, who, who shared with me. I said, I've had all these people share with me th- things that are going on. And he said, well, I should probably share. He told me he had been in chronic, uh, uh, unbroken pain for the past year, every, every day. And, you know, even though some spoke it, many didn't. Uh, what I felt inside that they were saying is, I believe in God. I've given my life to him. And yet at this moment in my life, I just need a fresh meeting with God. I need to know that he's there. I know that he's, that he's present and that he's sufficient for what I'm facing. So I knew I had to talk about that today. So I, I, there's so many things I want to say about uh, Pentecost. Maybe I'll have to do like the 120 class did and take how many 15 years of going through acts and never got through it. Maybe I'll have to slow down. But at least I want to take a few moments and talk with you about what Acts 2 might say to us about knowing that God is here and sufficient. Don't you think that's worth coming to church to think about again? Because many of us have trusted Jesus, yet we're still walking through a time in this world where I, I say we live in the restricted presence of God. God is here. And yet someday we're going to see him face to face. It will be the unrestricted presence of God. Now we sometimes just have to live by faith, not by sight. And sometimes we wonder where he is and what he's doing. When we come to church, we long for a fresh touch of the Spirit of God. Amen? Now, I'll say this before I make I'm going to have two comments at the end. I just, just want you to think and pray about But before I do, number one, I, you've got to know this. That an experience with God begins where it began with these people. Uh, you have to meet Jesus. God is a holy God, and, and we've walked away. All of us have things in our lives that we know don't please God. They don't even please us. And, and we need forgiveness. We need to turn from those, and we need to give those to him. And he's ready to, to receive them and forgive you and to come into your life. An encounter with God begins when you, you entrust your life to Jesus. You place your faith in Jesus. You ask him to be the Savior and Lord of your life. And if you haven't done that, I'll tell you, life begins when you trust the Lord as as your Savior. So I I need to say that. But the people I talked with this week are people like me, who long ago have entrusted my life to Jesus as my Savior. And still sometimes those moments come in life where we long for a fresh experience of the presence and power of God. So another pre-comment. I want to give about that from Acts 2 a warning and a promise. A warning and a promise. Are you ready to receive a, a warning from me today? 
Okay. <clears throat> Here it is. I think you need to hear this. When I read Acts 2 and I heard Perry's comment to me, I want to say that you've got to get this. Even when things are not about us, we human beings are so creative that we find ways to make it about us anyway. Do you, do you get that? Even when it's not about us, when we come, we want to make it about us. And, and we're really creative people. We find ways to kind of say, well, it's about something else, but it really about me. I want to have that experience. So when you read Acts 1 and 2, it's all about Jesus and all about God. It was Jesus who saw our needs. And, and he was the one who was willing to live the life that none of us has lived perfectly. And then be willing to die in our place so that you and I can be forgiven. And it's all about him. It is the Jesus who defeated sin on the cross and, and, and death and sin on, by his resurrection. It's all about him. And when you read Acts 1 and 2, if you miss it, even when they had experienced that he was alive, they had to wait to even go out to be witnesses because if they'd gone out in their own strength without the Holy Spirit, it would have been about them instead of about him. This is about him. And yet the fact is, in a subtle way, we can take this thing and just turn it around and say, well, it really is about me. And, and, and it comes out like this. Why don't I have what they had? If you know, I can just hear, you know why I know this? Because I look in the mirror and I see it in myself. All right, I'll just own that with you. We, we, we read this thing and we think, well, you know, if I had an experience of fire breaking into the room and a tongue of fire coming over my head and me speaking in a language that people who didn't understand me could understand, then I would never have any doubts. There would never be any struggles in my faith. And, that, and it's not a very long journey from that to, to, to the place where so many people in Jesus' day were, that whenever he would do these undeniable miracles, the next time they'd see him, they just wanted another one, but this time a bigger one. I mean, you've got to know that Jesus did bigger miracles in his life than they saw there in Acts chapter 2. Huge things. And yet still they just wanted to have more. To the point, you remember, that Jesus would have to say, it's only a wicked and perverse, really a self-centered generation that all they want is signs and miracles and experiences and wonders because people turn things inside. I want another experience right now. And if you make it about me, God, then maybe I'll follow you. George MacDonald, the great Scottish author of the 19th century, would put it so well. He said, we are inclined to love the gift more than the giver of the gift. Parents, you know this true, right? It's just so easy to, to, to the gift rather than the... So that's my warning. There, there's my warning. Um, we're going to read through the rest of the book of Acts and we're going to see that these people who experienced this miraculous thing in Acts chapter 2, in Acts 6 through 8... They're going to face trouble and one of their young leaders named Stephen is going to be killed and they're going to have doubt and they're going to be scattered and they're going to have to learn to trust God when they don't know what he's doing. When you get past Acts chapter 8, we're going to meet one of these men who only wanted it to be all about him, Simon Magus. Do you know that story, the sorcerer? He did come to Jesus. But even after coming to Jesus, he saw some of the apostles doing bigger miracles than he had done. And he said, I want to do what they do. I want the experience that they have. He was willing to pay money for it. And then he had to be rebuked. See, so there is my warning. Ah, it, when we turn, sometimes we've just got to learn to trust God when we don't see. But having said that, 
I'll tell you the clear promise of Acts chapter 2. Is that each one of us can be filled with the Spirit of God. When I read Jesus talking about the Spirit of God coming in John 14 to 16. We should know that God is present in our lives. That he never leaves us or forsakes us. We should know that. We should know he's sufficient for anything we face. So if you're one of many walking through these challenging times, um, does Acts 2 say anything to you about how you might expect to know the presence and the sufficiency of God? Now, it doesn't say everything, but there are two points that I'm going to make. I'm going to put them up here so you can see them. Um, One of them I don't think some of you are going to like. I've made it so often before that I know that for some, it just kind of rolls off our back like water off a duck. And you're going to think, oh, that shows you that our pastor is older than Andy Bartolucci, because that's just the way old Christians thought about things. And I, just, I feel like some are just going to hold that at arm's length. Um, and the second, I think you'll like. So I'll start with the first, OK? But I want you to hear it. So one, you're going to experience the presence and Sufficiency of God. The Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost to empower witness. All right. The Holy Spirit does many things. But in Acts 1 and 2, the Holy Spirit came so that we could be witnesses in our neighborhood and all the way to the ends of the earth. Right. Therefore, we should expect to experience the presence and the power of God's spirit. When we give witness to Jesus in the world, we tell the world that that he is the unique savior and Lord of the universe. That he and he alone is the one who can save them and rescue them and give them a new life when we give witness. What do you think? I can imagine some folks thinking that sounds like proselytizing, pastor. What do you want us to do here at Lake Avenue Church? Maybe you don't remember this. The old days when sometimes you would have a person put on a sandwich board and go out in the street and say turn or burn or, you know, that kind of thing. Is that what you want us to do here at the church, Pastor? Do you want us to become like those sects and cults that put on white shirt and tie and go beating on doors and just irritate? Is that what you expect? And you think that we're going to really believe that when we do that, we experience the presence and power of God? See, that's why I mean, I think that many times you'll, I, I don't know if you're going to, are you giving me a hearing on this one? Because I, I want you to know the presence and power of God. And I think this is one of the points that the Bible is making. So let's look at that. In Acts chapter one, Jesus had said, we will be his witnesses. He's going to give us something, an experience of him that we are witnesses to. It's going to be in our neighborhoods. It's going to extend to the entire world. But it, we have to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And the main point of Acts chapter two, when it happens, They become witnesses and people from all over the world are coming in. And when they give witness, uh, Acts 2.11, what they talk about is the saving, magnificent, saving acts of God. And then Peter gets up and preaches and the text we'll look at next week. And you know what he preaches about? He preaches about Jesus. And 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 he says that you're young and old, your your sons and daughters are going to be prophesying and, and dreaming. And what's going to happen is, it'll be about Jesus, so that in verse 11, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then at the end of the sermon, 
where Peter's been giving witness to Jesus, the result is that thousands uh, repent and believe and are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Three thousands were added to the church. See, that's what's going on here. And the indication is it's in those times when we're willing to go out and take this step and tell people about Jesus that sometimes we'll feel like, man, I, I didn't do that very well. Have you ever had that? But that he will empower our words by his Holy Spirit and we will know that he is there and he is sufficient. Now listen to me. I know that we can witness with more than just words. Uh, and we'll read about that in Acts 2. As they cared for the poor. As they dealt with injustices. I mean, there are many ways we give witness to the character of Jesus. And yet I'll tell you, if we just do it through our acts and never use our words, then all people will see is us. Somehow words must be used to tell people about Jesus and the God who loves us and is ready to rescue us. I mean, it's all through the Bible. When God created, how did he create? He spoke. Words are important to God. So as I read this, what's going on in Acts 1 and 2 is that God will give his creative power to create a new life in Christ when we use these frail human words, but empowered by the presence of the Spirit of God. That's why they had to wait for the Spirit of God. And I'll, I'll tell you this too. For those of you who are not as outgoing and extroverted as others, uh, words can be communicated with more than just speaking, right? I'll never forget. When I was a, a youth pastor, yes, I once was a youth pastor, um, we had in our high school group a young woman who was so quiet and so shy she could never speak in public. You can imagine how shocked everyone was in our youth group when she kept bringing her uh, classmates from the public school to our youth group and they were new believers. How did this happen? And you know what she did? She engaged in the ministry of writing notes and in there just little words about how her new faith in Jesus had, had changed her and strengthened her and it had so gripped the heart of her friends that they had come to faith too. Um, and you know that this past Easter, Pastor Jeff Leo uh, baptized. Were you here for Easter? Did, did, I don't know what's oh, nine o'clock, probably uh, nine o'clock. He, he baptized um, our security guard, a Christian who's a Christian in a whole new way now and, and Christian's brother and, and Christian's nephew. And um, because Jeff had led Chris to the Lord uh, here. And then if you at eleven o'clock and I don't know which one was better. They were both great. Jeff baptized his father. Uh, whom Jeff had led to the Lord. And I was talking, but Jeff was in my Tuesday group. And, and uh, I turned to Jeff and I said, is this true? When, when you lead someone to the Lord, when you use your words to tell about Jesus, he said, you never feel more alive. And he said, I asked him, will you give me something I can read to people? So he did. He said, and this has been true uh, for me each time someone gives his or her life to Jesus in front of me. Uh, witnessing someone cross over to life in, in Christ is for me, witnessing the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then he, as I was talking with Christian, he said, my heart began to race as I watched what God was unfolding 
knowing looks from my co-workers, some of the other pastors were watching as he was witnessing. It confirmed that this was a real moment for Chris to decide for Jesus. Uh, then as I talked with my dad every few months about Jesus, the thought would briefly come to my mind, don't mess this up, Jeff. <laughs> then I r- would realize what God must have done to get us this far. And I realized this has always been in his hands. This is not about me. So witnessing these things has not been about me and what I've done. When I look at the vastness of the Pacific or the grandness of our foothills, I have nothing to congratulate myself for. I have only to thrill, but always to testify. So I just want you to know that if the longing is there, to know that God is present and sufficient, that sometimes it comes even when you, in your weakness, say, I don't know what God is doing, but I trust Jesus. And see where God leads. Now the second point. I'm going to do this quickly. This one I think you'll like better. But the first one I want you to apply to your life. Okay. The Holy Spirit was given as people were involved in a community. A community of people committed to prayer-filled faith and obeying Jesus as they waited. See, that's what happened, wasn't it? They were there. I'm sure they didn't want to wait, but Jesus had told them to wait, so they were going to obey him, whatever happened. And as they were involved together in that community of people who were praying and obeying God, then they experienced God. Therefore, we might expect to experience the presence and power of God's Spirit when we are involved in a community of God's people committed to the same things, to faith in Jesus, prayer, and always obedience. That's why we're trying to set these Sunday evenings aside so we can have a little more time. I pray this happens when you come here, that together with us you meet him, but sometimes, you know, we need some time where we can stop and just pray together with a brother or sister, right? And that's why we want you to come to the upper room in those evenings when we have them. Because I believe that when we do that together with people who say, I don't know what God is doing, but I want to meet him and I'm going to obey him and wait for him until he does it. Then we meet God together. So let me just ask you, when you are feeling that God is far away from you, where do you go to find others who are going to hold you up in prayer and pray with you that God will meet you? Or when you're seeking to give witness and maybe you don't know the Bible well enough to answer some of the questions your family or friends ask. Where do you find others who say, oh, I tried this and this is what I said. Where do you find a place that you learn the Bible? Where do you go? When everybody around you, your family, your schoolmates, friends, think you're crazy because you want to obey Jesus and God's word, when they want to live a whole different way, where do you find others who share your values and, 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 and will help you and go with you? Where, where do you do that? When all week you've just been dragged down because your eyes have been on these other things, your health, the health of others, the money that is not there, all these issues that you just weigh down and they seem to be bigger than God is. Where do you find somebody that says, no, let's look up to God again and know that He is God So that you can start again. Where do you do that? Isn't it here? This is what we're supposed to be and do. A a group of people who together acknowledge that it's hard to live for Jesus. 
But he is real and we're going to trust him. We're going to obey him. And when we do that together, he meets us. Again, it was in a group of people waiting in a house, just in obedience to Jesus, that this experience happened. And then afterwards, in that text, I mean, Cliff, you were able to read those nations really well. You're going to be at the 11 o'clock service too, right? Good, good. Do you read where they were from? They were, most of them had Jewish heritage, but they had come from all over the world. The Jewish people were scattered all over the world. They were as incredibly diverse. Just look at the groups of people. Read it through it sometime. Egyptians were there. Looking around. Uh, Asians were there. Libyans were there. Arabs were there. Jews and non-Jews were there. Sounds like Los Angeles, doesn't it? Sounds like Los Angeles. It was a divided world where I'm sure that those groups all met. And they were um, multi-generation, multicultural, not inter. And then suddenly the biggest wall that divided them all, their language, was gone. That God is doing something new that brings people together into community. Do you know why people were broken up into language groups? Do you know where that started? At Babel. Genesis chapter 11, if you don't know it, read it. And it came about because of people's sin and arrogance. They are going to show who's God around here. And so God showed them who was God. He divided them up. They couldn't do it together into languages. So they were divided by sin. That's what's divided people, always. Do you see what happens when, when God begins a new work and what's supposed to happen in the church? He reverses the effect of Babel. That's what is happening in, in Pentecost. The effects of human sin are beginning to be reversed in the community of believers. And that's what's to happen here. All of us are ravaged by different kinds of things that lead to addictions and scars from our past and injustice and and brokenness that is in our world. But in the community of the church, we begin to see God reversing the effects of evil and sin in our own lives and we begin to be made new. Hallelujah, right? And that's what we have to offer to our world. And when you really make a commitment to being a part of a church family, to worshiping together, to praying together, I think you should expect that in those moments, unexpectedly, the wind is going to start blowing. And we will know that the Spirit of God is here. It is my prayer that the wind of God's Spirit may blow through this place we call Lake Avenue Church in fresh and new ways. That the fire of God might rest upon each of our heads that you will know today and all week that you are not alone uh, that God is with you and so at the very end of our service this is what I want us to do Uh, here in front of me we have this cross visitors we have many names in there these are names of people that many of us have been praying in our circle of friends praying we'll come to know Jesus Maybe he would have you to be a witness to these names. And maybe you have some names uh, that you've never put here. I don't have a card in the worship folder for you. Find a sheet of paper if there is yet another name. But remember this, when you put the name, begin praying about whether you might be the one who is to give witness and to know the power of God as you speak his mighty act of salvation in your life. So we're going to have a piece of music and I want you also and I'd like our pastors and and some of our prayer folks just to go all around the worship center as Jeremy is going to be singing a song.
if, if you're one of the people like the many I spoke with all week and you're walking through some challenging times and you would just like to have a brother or sister, it will have to be brief, but just a brother or sister, just lay on hands and pray that you might know that God is there and sufficient. I just want you to step out from wherever you are and, and come up. The thing that hit me is the people who spoke to me in our church, you would look at them and say, they have it more together than anybody else. Isn't that the way it is? And yet those who have it together more than anybody else, we're human too and, and, and need a touch of God when you come to church, right? So if you're, you're sensing that, just kind of fight your way through the uh, pew there and come up. Pam's here, is next to me. We have Adam, Adam here. All around you'll see our, 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 our ministry council, our pastors, all around. So come and either leave a name and the cross or come and we'll just take a few moments uh, to pray with one another and then I'll come up and bring our service to a close. Let God lead you. Have the courage to step out in these moments that we have together.